Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, this is Richard. It's been a while again since you've heard from Adam and me. That's my fault. I just moved. And as it turns out, moving from a smart home is a larger endeavor than you might expect. What stays, what goes, how do you break ties with or transfer old accounts? There's a lot to it. In this first part of our two-part episode series on moving in the age of the smart home, I'm going to discuss everything that went into my process of disconnecting from my old connected home. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined as usual by my co-host Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone. Hi Richard. Hey Adam, how are you? It's been a while. It has, and uh, our topic today is going to be explain a little bit why it's been a while. <laughs> so Richard just moved, and we're going to pick his brain today a little bit about you know what all's involved with that and moving from a smart home. So excited to dig in on that. But before we do that, we'll start with a question, as we always do. This is one that we've had in the backlog and we haven't pulled out yet, but it's an obvious one, I think, for both of us. We'll see. But my question to you this time is, what's your current favorite TV show? And by current, I don't mean that it has to be on now. I just mean that currently you think of this as your favorite TV show. Hmm. This is a tough one. Actively on TV, I'll just name a couple like top ones. I know that's against the rules, but <laughs> like we have rules. Yeah. I'd say The Mandalorian slash The Mandalorian 2.5, aka The Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Loved me some of that. Ozark is amazing and really, really good TV. Uh, can't wait for the conclusion of that. And the other one I just got hooked on was Succession on HBO. Had never watched that or done any of that. And uh, we just powered through all three seasons of that. And unfortunately, now I have to wait like everybody else. <laughs> How about you? Well, I haven't seen any of that but The Mandalorian. And I thoroughly enjoyed The Mandalorian. I do want to watch Boba Fett. I have not yet. And pretty much everything else that you talked about, I just haven't gotten there yet. Have you watched any of Ozark? None of it. Oh, okay. You got to go back and do that. It, yeah. I mean, especially because it's wrapping up this year, you got time. It's up there, you know, with Breaking Bad of like, you know, top TV. And, you know, at first I was just like this. It, they're just trying to make Breaking Bad again. It's its own thing. And it's really good. Um, Succession also really good. But yeah, you need to you need to watch Boba Fett fast before you stumble upon random spoilers on the Internet. And and I did hear about a crossover spoiler for what it's worth. So I am actually looking forward to that. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Anyway, I generally stick with stuff like dramas or action or sci fi. But I would say of shows that are on right now, nothing has caught my attention or interest or had this, the emotional response that I got from Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso, when it came out, we've talked about this in the past, I think, how it was the show that everybody needed at the time. And it just made you feel so good. And I think season two ultimately delivered really well on that as a follow-up. And I'm looking forward to season three. And I am looking forward to my new coach's jacket, which has shipped. 
and I'm hoping it finds me at my new address. I don't know if it will or not. Yes. Side note, I was very much after this coach's jacket. And by the time I saw it, it was no longer available in my size. And I sent it to Richard and he was like, oh, it's still available in my size. So I'll be very jealous of that. (laughs) Yes. I also have much love for Ted Lasso. I even have a Ted Lasso sign in my office. So it's just that, you know, since it hasn't been around, it's not in the front of my mind, but much love for that and can't wait for the next season. All right. Well, if you want to uh, submit a question to help us open the show, um, you can send us a question on Twitter using the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. So uh, getting into our topic for today, as we mentioned, you just moved. I mean, uh, I moved, I don't know, 10 years ago and it was awful. Why would you do such a thing? (laughs) It, It is awful. It really is awful. When I was young, I used to love moving. That was before I had so much stuff. The older you get, the more stuff one accumulates, at least in my life experience so far. And wow, wow, what a pain it was in many ways. And nowadays, you also have to think of all of your connected stuff and how you move that. We actually moved to a different state. So... In addition to all of the hassle of moving, we're going to have to do the, you know, re-registering to drive, to vote, to everything. So that's a hassle too. But we're here because it's a shorter commute. That's why we're here. Not for me, but for my partner. And the goal was to reduce the commute. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I mean, that's a lot of why we moved when we did so many years ago. But, you know, specifically focusing on smart home stuff, you know, thinking about when I moved, that was like seven, eight years ago, like, I think we had like a Nest, some Nest smoke detectors, and that was it. And I think the smoke detectors I took out before we listed the house, because those were new and fairly expensive. I didn't want to leave those. I think the thermostat we just left at the house, that was all I had to worry about. A lot has changed since then. And so, you know, how did you decide what was going to stay, what was going to go? What did that process look like for you? Yeah, it, it was not easy because if I were to enumerate through all of the different connected devices in our old home, it would have been well over 100. According to Amazon's assistant, that app listed over 200 items. I don't know that I believe that because there's a lot of duplication there through ecosystems and stuff, but a lot of stuff. And for me, it really boiled down to a couple major points. First of all, I didn't want to leave anything there that was overly complicated. So, you know, as an example, I had a number of different hubs, like a SmartThings hub, and I was still using that. I also had an old Wink hub that I was just testing. And then I had dedicated bridges, like Insteon's hub that they have, and the bridges for specific devices. So for me, I wanted to make sure that I didn't leave things that were going to be too complicated and too hard for a new owner to have to deal with. I removed smart things. I removed Wink, which I should have done years ago. I actually removed the Insteon hub, but not the switches. And I'll get into that in a little bit. Anything that depended on Homebridge... Pretty much anything that was dependent on a server running somewhere, with one exception, I decided that, okay, I'm getting rid of that. I'm not, I'm not going to leave that in there. So I had sensors and things like that, that the only way that they tied into anything was because I was using Homebridge. So that, that stuff got torn out too. And then finally... There's some stuff that you just 
can't leave behind. And this gets back to the Insteon bridge. The Insteon account, and this is not unique to Insteon, unfortunately, is keyed, and I use that word very intentionally, is keyed off of your login ID, which is your email address. And what I mean is that in the database, the thing that identifies your account is that email address, and it can't be changed. And this is true with a number of different systems out there. Don't ever do this if you're building a smart home system. Find to use that as a login ID. Make sure there's a way for a customer to change it. Let's say they change their name. Let's say their email address is with their provider and they move and they have a different provider now. You have to be able to let people change both their username and their email address associated with an account. And if something didn't let me do that, then that got ripped out. There was no way I was going to leave it behind. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that just comes down to poor planning from the vendor's perspective, not taking this stuff into account that, you know, for especially things that are more permanent in nature, like light switches and, you know, stuff that gets installed in the house, you really should think about, okay, if we don't live here forever, how are we going to do this? And how is this going to transfer between owners? But do people ever really think about that? I mean, people don't think about that even when they're building stuff or renovating a house. Oftentimes, I constantly think about that. How does this resell? How does this translate to a new owner at some point in time? It's kind of the same sort of thing where, you know, if you're a software developer, what happens if we're not here anymore? If we, the company that made this product, aren't here anymore, what happens to the product? And we've talked about that a little bit in the past. So those are the things that went into it. And then there was one final thing that is probably the biggest. If it was already integrated into the house, like you gave good examples, Nest thermostats. In my case, I did leave the Nest Detects, the smoke detectors, because I thought of those as being built into the house. Smart blinds, motorized kits on slat blinds and stuff like that. Integrated cameras that were like mounted, like ring cameras that were already mounted. The doorbell. I had smart ceiling fans. I'm not going to rip a ceiling fan out, right? And I had keypads and switches for the Insteon system that were installed all over the house. Now, I can't tell you how many weekends I spent over the eight and a half years we lived there installing those and setting those up. Uninstalling them would be equally difficult because, first of all, anything that integrates with a three-way switch in a smart capacity is going to have some complication with the wiring that you probably have to now undo if you're going to put a normal switch back in. And you'd be making a lot of work for yourself and, you know, potentially for the home buyer. And there's also, I think there's some legal things in terms of when like an offer is made. So you have to make these decisions probably before you list a house is what, what I was always understanding. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's exactly what I did. I went through and I thought about, okay, what's going to stay and what's going to go? And in the listing, specifically identified that these couple of things are not going to convey. So um, as an example, the Oro switch, I took that out. I'm keeping that one. <laughs> I, I, you know, for a, a $40 smart switch, I don't care so much. For a $300 smart switch, I care. I'm going to take that with me. On the other hand, I left the mounted iPad because it was an integrated wall mount. And removing it would have left a big hole in the wall that would have to be patched. Right. So I'm curious about the Insteon stuff. So I can understand why you couldn't bring the bridge with you. But given that... leave the bridge. Yeah, you couldn't leave the bridge. So given that, 
where does that leave the new owner? So, well, you could argue that 10 plus years ago, they made a bad decision by keying your account off of your email address. One of the beauties of Instian technology is that it does not require the bridge to function. All the control and all of the links between devices are programmed locally on the devices themselves. That's nice. So with or without the bridge, all of the scenes that keypads were designed to initiate will still work. All of the switches that are paired together to operate like a three-way circuit will still work. They can even be changed by the new owner locally without having an Instian hub. So it's a very functional system in a standalone capacity. Technically, you could install and use Instian hardware without ever using a hub. What the hub gives you is automations like things that are based on time or at the time when they were integrating with third-party devices, the ability to integrate with either things they directly integrate with or the integrations that they still support through the cloud. Okay. So, you know, if you wanted to connect to Amazon or some of those other ecosystems, that's also a reason I would think too. Yes, because that would require the cloud, which would require their hub. So you would you would have to add that in, yeah. I think this gets back to, you know, something I know we've said over and over again, which is just the importance of manual controls and a great, what I would call, offline experience. Because the fact that you can pull that bridge out of there and everything still works is how it should be, you know? <laughs> right. And, you know, why those things are so important. You know, can you imagine if all that stuff was tied to apps and accounts? Like, it would be a nightmare. Right. Well, yes. And we're going to talk a lot about that as well. <laughs> because... Yes, you're going to have a lot of apps and accounts that you need to deal with, whether something's staying or going. I also think it's worth for a minute just talking about how incredibly kind you are to be thoughtful about this, too. And you should definitely pat yourself on the back, because I think probably most people in this situation would just take what they're going to take, leave what they're going to leave, do nothing to leave it in a good state, and just be like, Good luck, new home buyer. You're on your own. <laughs> and and leave things in a in a really big mess. And I don't think you did that. And right. I think that's the exception, not what probably what most people find. Well, maybe it is. What I want to do is encourage people to think through it this way, to not leave a mess. And part of it is that there's very likely some investment you've made in products that you would want to retain. And so the extent that you're going to have to go through a process of taking some stuff out, just also think about the stuff that you're leaving. And trust me, and we'll talk about this more, you are going to want to do some sort of decommissioning on these things, because otherwise their ghost will haunt you after you've left the house. You need to do something to disassociate yourself from anything that gets left behind. I also want to give some credit to Kevin Tofel, who talked about and documented his move experience a couple years ago and really got me thinking about it well before I even knew that I was going to be moving. And he went through the process very similarly of very strategically identifying, okay, these things are going to stay and here's why. These things are going to go with me and here's why. And... I honestly don't know if I hadn't heard him discuss that or, frankly, had this show to talk about this experience would have had the motivation to go through all of this myself. Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about the chaos that moving brings. Amongst all that chaos, it's like another thing you have to do. And so that that's probably why most people just say, eh, whatever, it'll be what it'll be. <laughs> right. I'll deal with it later. Yeah. So 
we talked a lot about Insteon. How about some of the other things? Did you know some of the other things that get left behind have a friendlier decommissioning process, or you know what did that look like for some of those other devices? Yeah, so everything is a little bit different. You know, different ecosystems work differently. The way something might be installed in the house could impact what you do or how you do it. So one of the first things, and again, maybe this is just me trying to be nice. Also, by the way, we knew the people who bought our house. They were our neighbors from like three doors down. I wasn't going to leave them with a mess. They knew how to find you. Yeah, right. Like we're on, we have a constant thread going with the four of us. <laughs> so <laughs> like, like we're, we're always communicating. He's If something isn't working, I'm going to end up having to deal with it at some point anyway. But one of the things that I wanted to be sure of is that if there's anything that I'm leaving behind, I want to make sure that it works. Oftentimes when you have a smart home device and it goes wonky, I mean, I don't know what your experience is, Adam, but I get to it when I can't stand it anymore. And sometimes that's when someone else in the household can't stand it anymore, more than I can't stand it anymore, right? Like there's pressure to get something working again. Yeah, or it's not that big of a deal, and so you just leave it. Like I have a GE GE light switch I put in, and it's not in a critical location, and it totally stinks, but it's not that big of a problem enough for me to, you know, do something about it. You mean it stinks as and it's not good, right? It doesn't smell. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not Because then you should remove it. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly because when the internet goes out or the power goes out, it seems to, you know, get in a weird state for a long time. And it just doesn't play well. You know, there's a number of reasons why it's not great. But, you know, yeah, it, it sort of... Those things don't come up. And so moving kind of forces you to make all those decisions. Right. So I had, again, that influenced some of uh, my decision about what I kept or what I left. But there were one or two things that I needed to get working again if I was going to leave it there to make sure that the connection was working and and things like that, that, that it was functioning the way that it should Another thing that I wanted to do was that I wanted to disable or eliminate anything that had any sort of automation or routine associated with it. So, for example, my Ring devices, they're all built into the house. And I had some timers set up that there might be certain quiet times that they wouldn't sense motion or... They might be linked together to go on or go off uh, together, or they may go on at a certain time automatically and off at a certain time. All that stuff, that's how I want it, right? Like, I can't assume that the new owner wants things to work that way. So anything that I had that, that had any sort of automation associated with it, I went in and disabled or deleted those automations and associations, like things that were linked together or tied together, accounts that were tied together, I cut all of those because I shouldn't assume that the new owner is going to want those. Well, just like you said, you don't want ghosts following you. You don't want the new owners to literally be dealing with ghosts of lights turning right. on randomly, right. you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So another thing that I did, and we can debate the strategy that I used for this, but I created an email account for the house as a part of my decommissioning process. And that email address is actually the house address. Like it's, it was just easy to remember. Now, if you think about it, you might question, okay, is it a good security practice to have maybe security devices associated with an email address that is your actual address. I think different people will have different comfort levels with that. But the point is that I wanted the house to have an email address separate from my email address because I needed to transfer these accounts to something, something generic that wasn't 
my email address wasn't going to be contacting me, but you need an email address to authenticate or to verify the change or even to verify uh, that a device has been set up properly sometimes. Right. Something you also have access to also. So, you know, yes. you're not having to go back and forth with the new owners. Right. And like, it, hey, Sean, can you send me the validation code? Right. Yeah. Your situation <laughs> of actually having contact with them, I would say, is out of the norm. Normally, it's, you know, you're just talking through realtors. You don't necessarily have those lines of communication. So, right. And I actually think if somebody was buying a house from scratch, and knew, okay, this is a house we're only going to live in for five years. This might be a smart thing to do from the beginning. You know, anything that's going to stay, you register it to the house email and treat it that way. Like you said, we often don't have that forethought, but I, I think it's a decent strategy. And if you wanted to take care of the security problem, you could make it more generic, I guess. But I think it's an interesting idea. It's funny you say that. We'll, we will probably talk about that in an upcoming episode. Okay. So now that we have this email address, now we can start transferring ownership. And here's where I started learning more about things that I thought I'd be able to transfer that I couldn't. So, for example, I knew I couldn't transfer the Insteon account to them. So I just basically eliminated everything from the Insteon account and then disconnected the hub and that's that's done. Kivo, the Kivo cannot be changed in terms of the associated email address, which again is your login. So luckily it has the ability to basically reset the app. Just forget the devices associated with this app and start over. And so that's what I did. I have a Kivo app still. It is still in the original name that it was in before, but it is no longer associated with that lock. If the new owner wants to use the Kivo-powered lock that's in the home with any automation or any local presence detection, they'll need to set up an account for it. Yeah, that makes sense. The same is true for Ecobee. Ecobee thermostats. You cannot change your email address. If you think about it, all of these companies were kind of early entries into smart home, right? Yep. So I'm not that surprised that they hadn't thought through this as much. A lot of the newer things I didn't have this problem with, so it wasn't as big a deal. But I'd, I'd go in each app, identify whether I could change the address. If I could change the address, then do it. Sometimes there's contact information. Sometimes there's personal, like your information, your name. I changed all of that to be their information. There was one where it was my phone number. And so I had to change it to his phone number, which was weird. Felt weird doing that. But now everything is set up in their information that's been left behind there. And really think about this. Think about things that you might not consider have an account but need to be transferred. An example is our generator has a monitoring service that we pay for. It's a connected generator. My account is associated with that. My yep. name is associated with that. That had to be transferred to them. You don't necessarily think about that as an IoT device, but technically it is. Yep. So I have a question. So you can transfer the ownership of these things. One thing you can't necessarily do, though, is the Wi-Fi. So <laughs> how does that all work? Yeah. So interesting that you asked that. So Wi-Fi was a complication in two ways. One is just like you said, they're probably going to have different Wi-Fi than I have. Certainly, I would expect that they will use a different password that I have. I left my Unify access points installed in the house. But, and again, this was disclosed up front, it ran on a server. And that Synology is in my new basement, not in the old one. So I 
told them that if they want to use the Unify system, they'll either need to download the software and run it on an always-on computer or buy a Dream Machine. And probably, (laughs) ironically, the easiest solution is download the software and run it on an always-on computer because you can't buy a Dream Machine right now. So it will likely take some time before he's able to get a hold of one. Or maybe they just end up using their provider's Wi-Fi from the router. So that's a possibility too. But yeah, they're going to have to go in and reconnect all of the devices to their new Wi-Fi. There's really no way to get around that unless I handed over my Wi-Fi information, account, password, everything, and just said, here, change the password. Yeah, which you probably wouldn't want to do. Well, and not only did I not want to do that, I took my router. It's a Verizon Fios router, and I got Verizon Fios in my new house. So I brought the router with me. And again, I checked with them. They were bringing theirs with them. So not not that big of a problem. And I think this this gets to another thing that manufacturers have to think about is in some cases you may just reset those devices to factory defaults, let them start from scratch, but it is also helpful to have a way to change the Wi-Fi network without totally resetting the device in some cases. And from what I've seen so far in my new home, as I've had to do that a bit, many of the device manufacturers offer that. Many provide a means for changing that connection because most apps have some means of troubleshooting a connection problem, which ultimately results in reconnecting. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I'll never change my SSID and password because that would just be such a nightmare of, you know, having to go around and do that. Yes. Yes, it is. Adam, I can confirm. Yes, it is. (laughs) Can confirm from recent experience. (laughs) So uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention for stuff that stand behind. So some of the things that I had done in the kitchen were the installation of different types of lighting. And some of it was smart lighting that was just normal switches. Others were like hue light switch, uh, hue light strips under the, the cabinets. I, I have no regret that I put hue light strips under the cabinets, but you have to make sure that the owners have some way of controlling hue light strips. And when you're hacking together a solution like that, you might not think about, oh, I was using a Pico through Homebridge that let me connect to a smart switch or to the the Hue bridge that turned these things on. That's not going to work anymore. That's not going to work for them. So I ended up actually installing a physical switch on one of the undercounter lights that I had installed at the breakfast bar to ensure that they had a physical way of turning that on and then going into the Hue Bridge, which I did leave behind, and setting the Hue Bridge default behavior that when they turned that on, it was always going to come on. Yeah. Well, and I think it's uh, the one thing to somebody who's not moving is sort of what I said earlier is to think about these things and how the physical interface matters. Mm-hmm. If something is just app controlled, you know, not only is it not a great experience if you live with anyone else, you know, who may not want to deal with your app based things. Right, right. It just makes this whole situation complicated. So when when you buy products that have a great offline experience, it makes all of this simpler as well. Yeah, completely agree. And then finally, on the stuff that's being left behind, I made sure that I left boxes, if I still had them. In many cases, I was keeping them, or at least keeping literature from the boxes, because there were oftentimes activation codes. HomeKit devices, for example, 
if they're installed somewhere, sometimes getting to that activation code is a big, huge hassle. Now, you told me about Aaron Price's amazing application, HomePass, that allows you to store all that stuff. That's great for me. That doesn't help the new owner there. I'm not going to sign over my app and my information there. So I made sure that they had the activation codes for the HomeKit stuff through the the boxes for the stuff that I originally had. And I'm a box hoarder. I don't really get rid of boxes of devices that I'm still using. I keep them around for whatever stupid reason. Me too. I need to get over that and throw <laughs> throw a bunch of boxes away. Yeah, yeah. I also left some instructions behind. Like I wanted to make sure that they knew what the account information was. So if I set them up with a new account that was based on the email address, I let them know that and I let them know what the random password was that got generated for it. So that kind of account by account, they know how to log into the things that they have accounts for and then what things they would need to create accounts for. So all of that just to leave stuff in the house. Yeah. Uh, I'll say again, I think you're above and beyond the call of most because most people, I literally, (laughs) I literally had the crate of like all the instruction manuals for the appliances from our old house. And I think a mover or something, like I meant to leave it, but a mover or something like threw it in with our stuff. I I still have it. And I know the guy who bought our old house and I've meant to give it to him over and over again. And it's like, at this point, it probably doesn't matter. Yeah. So you get many, many karma points for doing the right thing. Anything more you want to talk about in terms of the breaking down part of the smart home? Well, yeah, because that was the stuff that I left behind. Now, what about the stuff that I'm taking with me? So it's not as simple as unplug and go. Trust me, don't do that. You're going to be unhappy if you do that. The first thing that you need to remember is that most of these ecosystems have some sort of pairing process between either a device and an account or a device and a bridge or a hub. And so you need to be making the decision If you're moving this device, are you going to be using it in exactly the same way and in the same room? And if not, your best bet is to probably unpair or remove any device that you're taking out of the home. So, for example, I had some ring cams and I deleted them from the application because I wanted to take them with me. In this case, Ring was staying, the portable things were not. So I needed to disassociate them with the account that they were associated with it to make it easier to associate them with a new account or pair them with a new bridge in the future. Ah, okay. That makes some sense because I was going to say if you're taking it with you, and the Wi-Fi network's going to stay the same. Why? But in that case, I think it makes more sense because you wanted to keep the things that were staying segmented off and transferable. Yeah, and also there are a couple reasons that you might want to do this. One is that. Another is that not a lot of people make a lateral move. Move from one two-bedroom house with a den or a family room, or whatever we call it, to another two-bedroom house with a family room. Usually, you're changing your living situation in some way. So to assume that you can just pick up your system and plop it down, and frankly, remember which device was in which room, and get that right, is asking a lot. I think it's easier to just go through the process of, okay, let's just get this stuff out of its old configuration. And remember with stuff like ZigBee and Z-Wave, you got to do that. You will not be able to pair or reassociate a device 
with another Zigbee or Z-Wave hub unless it has been removed from its old hub. Yeah, that so makes sense. it's just safer to do that. Plus, and here's the final reason on this. You know what? Use the move as an opportunity to start over. Clean it up. If you have a bunch of devices, you probably have a lot of cruft in there. And by cruft, I mean things like duplicative entries in third-party applications like your assistant applications for Amazon or for Google. There's probably a lot of junk in there that hasn't been cleaned out or that's out of date. Just use it as an opportunity to get a fresh start. Right. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And, you know, a pretty unique opportunity to start fresh and clean up a lot of, you know, many, many years of, you know, different things. I think right. you're you're in my situation is a little bit different because we test stuff. We, you know, bring stuff right. in on a flyer. Yep. Like, you know, I would think some people don't have that situation per se, but I have all kinds of, you know, inactive home kit devices, you know, all kinds of things that are cruft that I don't, you know, given a, a Saturday with an empty calendar, I don't go, well, I'm going to, you know, clean up my smart home today. Like, I, <laughs> who, who does that? Right. Right. Apologies to the listener who does that. You're a better man or woman than I. But it's kind of like, I was going to say back in the day, but I know that people still do this. And I did this with the most recent PC or the most recent Mac that I purchased. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you just start over on your computer. Just get your documents, get the stuff that you need, wipe the computer, and start all over again. Yep. So it'll run faster. You get all those old downloads that you never ended up using anyway. Get them out of the way and just start fresh. You have what you need. You have your documents. You have your media. And go on from there. And and that's the same sort of thing here except we're talking about physical equipment now. Well, and I think the parallel is the situation you're in on the previous device, home, etc., is not the situation you're in now. So right. looking at all of it with the current situation in mind makes a whole lot more sense than just trying to fit a round peg into a square hole. Yeah, exactly. Now, some ecosystems make that easier than others. So I mentioned Amazon and Google as an example. In Google, you can just blast a home. You can just say, okay, get rid of this home. And it gets rid of everything associated with it. It's wonderful. Can't really do that in Amazon's Assistant. You can repeatedly attempt to remove devices from Amazon's assistant and some will remain even though you've gone through the process, the very hidden convoluted process of finding and clicking the delete all button on devices. And you have to do that for devices and you have to do that for scenes separately and some just won't go away unless you manually delete them. And then you need to make sure that you're getting rid of your skills, too, because if you don't get rid of your skills, it's going to keep finding stuff that the cloud knows about, even if it's not actually installed. Ghosts. Yep. So you, you really need to be very intentional if you're using one of these assistant platforms about how you handle it. HomeKit is a dream. Delete the house, start again, fresh. It was, it's the best of the experiences that I've seen so far. It was a piece of cake. Yeah, in the early days of HomeKit, that was just how I would like start over all the time. But once I got to a certain point in my home, I was no longer willing to start well, over. Well, right, right, right. Until we had things like Jan's controller app where we could take a backup of our HomeKit configuration. That's still not an easily done thing, is it? Is that is that a capability yet built into HomeKit? 
not that I've ever seen. So yeah, I, I've evolved to where I would often start a new home for stuff I was testing or might be temporary because Mm -hmm. I did not want to mess with my existing home. Right. Right. So there's that. Then there's stuff like I mentioned switches that I was taking out like Oro. Oro was on a three-way circuit. So I had to re it was actually on a four-way circuit that I had changed into a three-way. And I don't know if you've ever done three-way, four-way wiring. Oh, what a pain. And it's hard to keep straight. And I look up reference images every single time that I do it just to make sure that I'm not screwing it up. So I needed to kind of undo the changing a four-way to a three-way thing and making it back to a four-way and and getting the wiring back in place for that to take the Oro out. I even reprogrammed some of the Insteon stuff because there were some Insteon scenes that weren't going to make any sense except to me. Right. Or because we removed some things like lamp modules that plugged into the wall. I wasn't leaving them behind. Who knows if they're going to plug lamps into them? Why would I leave a smart plug plugged into a wall somewhere? So right. things like that that were references to stuff that I wasn't leaving behind. I went through the process of uh, removing or reprogramming those uh, the Lutron stuff, I took my Lutron bridge, so that meant with my Lutron shades, I had to pair them to a Pico directly so that the Pico could control the shades. I left the Pico behind. They have a way of managing those. They don't need my bridge to do that. I can reuse my bridge, and I was not leaving them with my bridge pro because they ain't easy to come by these days. Yeah, that's a fair point. And so that kind of takes me to the whole thing with bridges and chargers and make sure that if you have remotes, if you have chargers, if you have bridges for things that you're taking, that you're pulling them to, that you're not forgetting this controller that's necessary to use this thing that I'm removing from the house. Because sometimes those things are hidden in an attic or a basement and you might completely forget about them. Yeah. And um, especially if you want to leave the new owners in a good place, right? want to th- think about those things. And then finally, I mentioned servers. I had a Homebridge server. If you have Homebridge or, ho- or Hoobs or... Uh, any of the home automation server things that you might run on a PC or a Mac, you're likely going to not leave that behind. So make sure that anything that depends on that is disassociated from that. And I packed up all of that stuff. I basically flushed my home bridge information as well knowing that I'm going to start over with that. I actually eliminated any devices there that I knew were either not going to be used or that I was leaving behind because I'm taking the server, but some of the stuff was still going to be there, not here. And remember, some of those things work on keys, not on logins. So even though I changed the account, that token would probably still get me to the account that controls the device. Now, the devices aren't connected to the same Wi-Fi, so I wouldn't be able to use them, but that's something to think about. So, there's still a lot to do just in terms of getting your stuff out of the house and making sure that when you do, you have everything that you need and it's going to be nice and usable when you move to your new place. Okay. So uh, let's take a quick break for sponsors if we have some and uh, return with some more smart home discussion after that. Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy, but let me tell you, making a podcast is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. 
We've been working with Lightning Pod founder Eric Johnson for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting, but he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. All right. Well, we are going to now just go through some tips and learnings that I had as I went through this process. Some of them, well, specifically, I as far as the moving process itself, we talked about how moving is hell and moving just completely uproots your life. You don't know where things are. You have a lot that you have to do. Everybody's stressed. You may or may not be in control of your stuff at any given point in time in the process. We had things in storage for a while. Kind of getting back to the thing you just talked about, Adam. My first tip is don't let the movers pack or take stuff that you're intending to leave behind. <laughs> like right. you have to make sure that it's clearly marked that no, no, these boxes stay here or this box of things stays here. Or in our case, we actually had the movers do a lot of the packing for us. So it was like, okay, this shelf of stuff, don't touch that. Yeah. That's a challenge. <laughs> it, it can be. It can be. The other thing is that you may not want the movers to touch anything. You, you may want to make anything that's going to be necessary for you to be able to decommission your devices off limits to the movers. So, for example, I had some things in the attic that were still hooked up some bridges and things that I needed because I still hadn't decommissioned everything. And I needed my one laptop to be able to do that. Like there, there were devices and things around the home that might otherwise get packed and put away that I had to have until the last minute, basically to change, for example, or to remove the, codes that I had in our lock to be able to get in, in and out of the house. Right. <laughs> right. It's important that you're, you're thinking about the tools that you need to do the job as well and not letting them get packed away or moved away out from under you. And then my last bit of advice or tips here from my experience is don't wait until the last minute. I didn't wait until the last minute. I planned this. And wow, I didn't anticipate how long this was all going to take. It took me a lot of time. I spent multiple days across a couple of weekends working on this stuff. And the account transfers, which I really couldn't do until pretty much the last day or two, because we still use our doorbell and we still use the lock to get in and out of the house and all of that stuff. That takes time. That is way more time consuming than I expected. It is through doing that that I learned that so many systems did not let me easily change that account information or it required back and forth or there was... I don't know, some sort of confirmation that required reaching out to the new owner. It, it, there's just more entailed in that than I expected there to be. So do not wait until T minus one on your move day to make that stuff happen because it won't happen. Yeah, makes sense. Now, finally, we're going to talk about stuff that you might do when you're setting up after a move in a different episode. But there are some things that I just want people to think about, like after they move, after they've moved out, they need to make sure that their house is clean, if you will. 
So like I said, I went through and I cleaned out all the stuff from the Amazon app. And, you know, in most cases with Google and with Apple, it's as easy as deleting your home. With Amazon, it's not. So if you have another ecosystem like that, if you're using SmartThings as an example, and you need to go through and remove a bunch of stuff, just make sure that you're doing that. Again, I'd recommend before you start. Don't start with a dirty palette. Just clean it off and start fresh. That would absolutely be my recommendation. Make sure you spend the time doing that. And remember that for whatever reason, if you've decided that, well, okay, but my office is going to be my office. So anything that was assigned to my office, I'm just going to keep in those apps and keep it assigned to my office. That's true. Remember that if you have new Wi-Fi, you may need to connect it to new Wi-Fi. Remember that most of these applications ask you where you live, and they may need that to know when sunrise and sunset time is. So go through the process of ensuring that each app, if it has any sort of geolocation or address information about where these devices are installed, that you've updated that to ensure that they're going to function properly because they might not otherwise. So, so far, that is what I have learned from the moving out process and getting ready to move in. We'll talk about moving in later. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that too because I think it's a it's a particularly interesting opportunity to start from scratch, to reassess, to have new goals, new ecosystems, new all those things. So I'm uh, I'm intrigued and uh, we'll be excited and hopefully uh, listeners will tune back in to hear more about this journey for you. Also, website app or service idea for somebody. We desperately need somebody to create a universal how to factory reset your device database. Desperately needed. Yeah. I was even thinking about that when you were talking about uh, Aaron's HomeKit code. You know, that could be a function of his his app um, and, you know, being able to transfer those codes. Um, you could easily grab some model information and, and do that too. But that's only for that ecosystem. But Right. So that is it for the moving discussion. So let's, before we end, take a question. Now, I'm cheating a little bit. This question came to me. It didn't technically come into the show, but it came in from somebody who listens to the show. So I'm going to count it. And I'm, the question is, what do you think of Brilliant? So he was looking for a solution to kind of act as a controller for more than just the lights. Kind of like Oro, right? Oro yep. can control uh, things other than the light connected to the load. And his comment was that, you know, it kind of checks all the boxes. It does a lot of the big brands, not some of the lesser used ones. It doesn't have Instian or some things like that. So I'm going to give a um, very candid response here. My response can probably be summed up by the word meh. I'm not overly excited by Brilliant. And there are several reasons for that. One is that I don't like the industrial design. I have a hard time with companies who are trying to reinvent the physical form factor of the light switch and create a new motion or physical thing that you have to do to operate that light switch. It's kind of like these smart switches that have the fulcrum point at the top, meaning that you always have to press the bottom of the switch, whether you're turning it on or turning it off. That is completely counterintuitive to how people know how to operate a rocker switch. Right. 
Well, and to what we just talked about or other people or somebody coming over, like you don't want somebody to be a guest in your house and be like, how do I turn these lights on? Like, Right. And if you're not familiar with Brilliant, Brilliant is a rather large, say a little bit bigger than a cigarette pack, a little bit smaller than a slice of bread that kind of slaps on front of a one, two, or three gang wall switch. It is either a screen, basically an Android mobile screen incorporated into a wall switch case that sticks out from the wall in a somewhat bulbous way. And it's white plastic. And some variants of this also have divots, vertical divots in the panel that you can stick your finger in and slide up or down. There's no physical thing there. So you wouldn't necessarily know that if you didn't know what it was. So it, it it's kind of fighting against everything that you know about what is a wall switch and how does it work. Right. So that's part of why I, I dislike it. The other part of why I dislike it is, and I kind of just hinted at this with my snarky comment. I don't like the physical design of it. I think the physical design of it is going to be a turnoff to many homeowners. Now, I understand that they either are working or have released, working on or have released variants of this so that it's not all a big chunky white piece of plastic, but they have some other colors and I believe even some metallic finishes now that might make it look better in different style homes. But I know that the response that I would receive if I brought this home and said, I'm going to install this in the living room is, oh, hell no, you're not. I'll contrast that with Oro, which fits in the form factor of a paddle itself and behaves exactly the way a paddle does in addition to having a screen on it. And I didn't get as much pushback on that. Yeah. I think the one thing I'll say is it does look like they do offer frames in different colors now. So good, good. at least being able to change the colors might be an option down the down the line. And it looks like their one switch panel seems to be headed in more of an Oro like direction, but I would agree with you that I don't think and, and that is four hundred dollars too. So very, very pricey. And the two switch panel is uh, four forty nine, so it it gets very expensive very quickly. Yeah, it's not cheap, but you know, Oro's not cheap. Oro actually raised its price last year sometime, if I remember correctly. These are not inexpensive devices, and I think part of my point is that if you're going to spend that much money on something, I want you to really think through how you're going to use it, who's going to use it, where it's going to be, and whether it's the right fit for you. Okay. Well, if you have a smart home question for us, you can send it our way using the hashtag AskSmartHomeShow, and uh, we'll pick a question to include in the next show. We're going to go off the Rails format for a little bit. Whoa! Consider this a teaser for the next show. I have a question for you, which is, what was the first smart home device to get set up in the new house? Ooh, Sonos. Okay. You got to have music when you're unpacking. Yes, Tames the Beast. There you go. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Closing out, uh, where, can, where can everybody find you, Richard? Well, let's see. The best way is probably just through Twitter at Richard Gunther. And I have not been significantly active there because I've been very, very busy with the move, but I am slowly getting back to life at normal paces as I'm used to it. So I'm I'm hoping that uh, that's going to include more of my presence on Twitter and more that you'll be able to find of mine over at the Digital Media Zone. How about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and everything my company is doing in the smart home space at connectsense.com. 
All right. Well, the Smart Home Show is part of technology.fm, and that's a collection of great tech-focused podcasts, including Home Tech FM, The Spoon Podcast, and my show, which comes back next month, Home On, Home Tech FM. I want to just do a quick shout-out there. Seth has reimagined Home Tech FM again, added two co-hosts, and it's a lot of fun. I thoroughly recommend checking it out if you haven't listened or if you haven't listened for a while. It is more of a roundtable discussion now, and I thoroughly enjoy it each week. Also, you can find our notes and details about each episode at our website, smarthome.fm, or send us feedback at feedback at smarthome.fm. Send us feedback at feedback at smarthome.fm. And then, of course, you can find our shows in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, or anywhere else that you find podcasts. If you like it, do us a favor. Leave us a rating or review or tell a friend. Thanks. All right. Until next one, happy unpacking and setting up new <laughs> devices. Thank you. Thank you.